This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey, you guys. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. Welcome, everybody. We have a very special guest. You guys, I I cannot wait for you guys to hear this interview because I get so many questions from moms and people, but mostly moms, wanting to find the best probiotic for their children and for themselves. And you guys, this is such a hairy topic. This world of probiotics, gut flora. I mean, if you've listened and watched, if you've followed me for a while, you know, I am so passionate about the gut biome and digestion in general. And so we have a gem of an expert on here. His name is Dr. Vincent Pedre. So doc, welcome to the Gutsy Health Podcast. Uh, It's such a pleasure to be here with you guys. And just before we started learning what you're doing and and to help educate people on how to empower themselves through, through nutrition is just... Uh, that's music to my ears. I, I love, and I love hearing that from other doctors too. So, um, so thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into uh, really becoming an expert on gut biome and the biome in our soil and this entire, because this topic is just ginormous and I don't think people really understand it well. So tell us how you got here. Oh God, which part of the story do you want me to start? (laughs) So you, do do we go back? Do we go back to childhood? (laughs) Yes, let's do it. Tell us like what you were dealing with as a child. I I was a therapist in a former life. So let's kind of, let's go back. (laughs) Tell me about your childhood. doctor. Okay. (laughs) Let let me get back. Let me, let me get on my couch. There you go. (laughs) Get comfortable. (laughs) Well, I always had a nervous stomach growing up and suffered from uh, a lot of digestive challenges Mm -hmm. as a kid uh, when I was young with a lot of constipation. Um, And later on, it eventually turned into IBS, Mm -hmm. uh, which was more on the the loose stool side, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes constipated. But really what, what I think caused those challenges for me is that around the age of 10, I started getting sick Mm. pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. And back then, this is early to mid eighties. What did doctors do when your parents took you to them and you had a cold, they prescribed antibiotics. Oh yeah. Yep. And so I was on round after round of antibiotics. Wow. And probably two to three rounds of antibiotics throughout my teenage years every year. So you can imagine what that did to my gut microbiome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also to the health of my gut. Yeah. So, and I didn't understand it then. You know, I had gone through my growth spurt and I could never put on weight. I was eating probably more than 3,000 calories a day. Wow. Uh, like my typical day was starting with cereal with milk. Wow. You know, one of those sugary cereals and then probably a sandwich at lunch or some sort of pastry or something. And then my mom would pick me up from school and we would stop at one of those fast food restaurants and pick up a vanilla milkshake for me because I loved vanilla milkshakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there was, <laughs> and then there was dinner. Uh, maybe there was bread. My grandmother constantly baked cakes for me. She, that was the, one of the ways that she expressed her love through, 
cooking mm-hmm. and uh, many nights maybe there was a bowl of ice cream wow. afterwards. So you can imagine, yeah. you know, a kid that had been on multiple rounds of antibiotics uh, suffered from dysbiosis, a complete wipeout of my gut microbiome. At some point I was given Cipro, which wipes out the microbiome for up to 12 months. Oh, wow. Oh my and, gosh. And then developed leaky gut. And I became sensitive to the two biggest foods in my diet, which are which were at the time wheat, gluten, uh, and dairy. Wow. Yeah. So what did but you I eat? <laughs> well, but I didn't know this. So yeah. I kept eating these foods and I kept getting sick. And the doctors kept telling my parents that I needed to be on a multivitamin. You know, they didn't understand mm-hmm. why I was sick. They were operating from from limited knowledge. And in fact, I mean, I don't even think that this is used anymore, but I used to get gamma globulin shots when I couldn't clear an infection. And that's basically pulled immunoglobulins from another Another group of people from their blood. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. So you were really sick. I would get sick and I could be sick for two weeks, three weeks. So I was a hypochondriac actually, which is kind of funny because then, I became a doctor. And, and of course, <laughs> you can imagine I was a hypochondriac because the minute I got a tickle in my throat, I was afraid I was about to get sick again. Yeah. And I was going to need another round of antibiotics. And, and so part of what motivated me for many years was to figure out how can I not get sick? Yeah. And what is it that is making my immune system so weak? Yeah. And we know now that the gut is the is kind of like the 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 foundation of the immune system. Seventy to eighty percent of your immune system is all along the gut border. Analyzing what is coming through and identifying whether it's self and non-self. Mm-hmm. But when you have leaky gut and maybe partially digested proteins are getting through. And if you have a leaky gut, you're not digesting your food properly. The brush border in the small intestine, which is that really big surface area that absorbs food, gets damaged. Mm -hmm. So you're not producing the enzymes that you need in order to take in the nutrients. So you might have a protein that hasn't been broken down completely. Get through that leaky gut border. It's almost like imagine, you know, we don't have video, but you can imagine a cheesecloth with really uh, tight cheesecloth and that's a normal gut and it just has really small holes to let nutrients through. And if you have a leaky gut, that cheesecloth now has bigger holes between the cells. The connections that are called tight junctions between the cells loosen up. And then you can get partially digested proteins coming through and they trigger your immune response. And if your immune system is fighting a war, uh, it's like an Afghanistan in your gut, Mm -hmm. then your, your immune system is too distracted to stop invaders coming through your airway, through your mucous membranes. Yeah. Uh, and that's what happened to me. And it was bronchitis, sinusitis, um, uh, pneumonia over and over. And probably part of those were viral infections for which I was given antibiotics, which wow. is so uh, unfortunate. And one of my, one, one of my big gripes with, with doctors. Mm-hmm. So, so basically I, I was on a pursuit to figure out first, why did I get sick so often? Mm-hmm. And funny enough, going to medical school as a hypochondriac, uh, hypochondriac <laughs> was 
constantly worried about getting sick. Uh, I can imagine that would be terrifying for you. Right. (laughs) Everything you learn about. We used to joke in, in, in our first year and second year, when you were learning about a disease, you would convince yourself that you had the disease that you were studying. And that was, Oh my gosh. That was a very, very, very common thing that medical students did. So that must've been extremely like, triggering and traumatizing, like legit PTSD for you. Um, so like going <laughs> well, through medical you know, school and you know what actually, mm-hmm. what actually happened is that when I started understanding the mechanism of disease, yeah, it took away my hypochondria because now I understood mm. what was happening in the body. It yeah. wasn't just this and magical monster that you had no control over anymore. Mm-hmm. There were there were many things that kind of influenced uh, how I got to where I got. Uh, because the other story about me is that I almost didn't become a doctor. Wow. Oh. So so I have a few and, questions right now. Um, so yeah, a lot of moms are listening to your story and they're thinking they're thinking, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, my child sounds exactly like this. Is there hope? And then. How did you have time in medical school to research this? Because do they even teach about gut biome and the immune system in medical school? Because from what I... Very little. Okay. And so was a lot of this researching that you did on the side by yourself? And is it, would you say it's mainstream that what you understand and teach? It was, so a lot of it came after medical school Mm -hmm. um, through my readings. Yeah. Um, I had... I had many, many people who influenced me, including Dr. Andrew Weil, Deepak oh, yeah. Chopra, nice. uh, Dr. Mark Hyman. Very cool. Um, and I always, I always kind of looked at those as kind of like the guiding lights of the type of doctor that I wanted to become, even when I was being indoctrinated to be this Western doctor, mm-hmm. you know, and fulfilling what my family you know, my family wanted for me, which was to be an MD, it's prestigious, you know, kind of following that path. And yet knowing that there was, there was something else brewing in me Mm -hmm. that was a passion for something that just felt intuitively right. That's awesome. That's really cool. And so you were saying you almost left medical school entirely before you finished? Oh, no, no. I almost didn't go to medical school. Uh, and that is, and, and it's kind of, uh, it's a funny story, you know, to say because of where I am at now and how being a doctor has, has shaped my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back then, so I'd finished, imagine this, it's, it's junior year in college. I just took the MCATs, mm-hmm. um, extremely stressful mm-hmm. <laughs> studying for, prepping for the MCATs. And I go home to see my parents after that. And I tell them, yeah, this medical school thing, I don't know if I want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And they're probably not happy. (laughs) But but the reason for that, the reason for it is that I was definitely afraid of needles. Mm -hmm. And I could not get my blood drawn. I could not get a vaccine. I could not be in the same room with a needle if it had, if there was a possibility that it was going to come at me without (laughs) breaking out into a cold sweat and ending up on the floor. Wow. Wow. So, so So, at this point, they, they're probably upset, but you end up going to medical school school anyways. Right. (laughs) And then when, when did you get like, remember, you know, there are certain days, 
that, that you will never forget. Yeah. And I was probably, I was probably 20 years old and I still remember how they sat me in the living room and it was my mom and my dad and we had a one hour conversation mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And at the end of the conversation, the conclusion is I'm going to apply to medical school <laughs> and, <laughs> and become a doctor. And, and then, and I just basically put the elephant in the room aside, which was this deathly fear of needles. And I knew it was going to come ringing back. And, Mm -hmm. but the great thing is that I, I look at it now as a gift that I had that because it, it was part of what shaped the type of doctor that I became. That's awesome. Uh, Because I finished college in my first semester, senior year. And so then I went back home and had a goal basically before medical school. And that's when I started reading Deepak Chopra and while I discovered yoga and I started researching what was happening to me. Why was I getting this reaction, which all of this ties back into the gut. Mm-hmm. And it was my fight or flight response. Right. And I started learning about the autonomic nervous system and, you know, someone who, I was sincerely, sincerely loved science. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was ridiculous that I would not go to medical school just because of the fear of needles. Yeah. But I also um, grew up in a family where you didn't take drugs to treat away mental challenges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was not in our philosophy. So you did not take an anxiolytic because you were anxious about getting your blood drawn. Yeah. You know, we just, We just didn't do that. You worked on your mindset, but I needed to figure out how do I hack this whole process that seems like a runaway train inside my body? Like, how do I gain control over it? Mm -hmm. And I went to the bookstore and I went to the libraries and, and researched. And I discovered a book by Dr. Herbert Benson from Harvard. It's called the relaxation response. Mm -hmm. And in that book, He shows with really, you know, like verified research that his breathing technique and ways of of um, stress reduction engage the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of the autonomic nervous system that helps you relax Mm -hmm. and calms down that sympathetic fight or flight response. So here I am. It's January before medical school starts in August. And I'm doing breathing exercises every day. Then I discover meditation and I start meditating and I'm doing yoga and I'm reading all these alternative health books. And I didn't realize that this little problem that I had actually became the spark that put me on the road to the type of doctor that I would become. That's awesome. That's really cool. And so, so was that kind of like the mental wellness aspect of starting to heal yourself coupled with like the gut biome? It was because I was a very type A, very, Mm. uh, I was, I was extremely skilled from having uh, grown up playing the piano and performing in public. Uh, Mm. I knew how to hide what I was feeling inside Mm -hmm. uh, and portray a very calm presence yeah. Uh, but inside, I was like the Tasmanian devil, like a little tornado. Totally. And and part of that was, you know, when I was learning about the fight or flight, I'm like, you know, I want to conquer my mind also. And, and I've always been of the belief system. And, and this ties into everything gut related, too, because mm-hmm. yes. mindset 
is so important. And, and, and it's funny because I started on the other end of this um, early on in my career, and it was all about microbiome and diet and supplements and do this and do that. And now I know that if I can't change the mindset at the beginning mm-hmm. so that the person gets into a mindset of healing, then it doesn't matter what you do. I love that. You can do everything to perfection. You cannot bypass your healing process. In other words, you can't be a type A person and just want to insert the right salads and nutrients or whatever it is uh, into your life and still be rushing and not really doing any self-care and think that you're going to heal. Right. Yes. And so great to hear. Especially coming from a doctor too. Mm -hmm. That's very unique because that's, that's not such a cerebral response, you know, like the cerebral thing is, well, you take this medication or you eat this thing. And for you to say, Hey, number one thing before we even go into the gut biome topic is stress is key, you know, and it really is stress will make or break you. Like you said, it doesn't matter if you have the perfect diet, you are going to get sick if you are stressed out of your mind. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people come in with gut issues that I think the usually, and a lot of times the triggering event is some sort of stressful event. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it could be going through a divorce, uh, family relationship issues. Sometimes uh, adults who are having IBS like symptoms might have been victims of child abuse, mm-hmm. sexual child abuse. Interesting. They were younger. And now it's manifesting as IBS as an adult. Have you read the book called The Body Keeps the Score? No. No, that's it talks <clears throat> it a sounds, lot. It, it I think right up my alley. it totally is because it's about how like every emotional response, if not processed, is going to manifest itself as some kind of symptom. You know, so like you said, like certain traumas like show up as IBS. I actually worked as a neurostructural massage therapist and I could tell by the pain my patients were describing exactly um, what they had been recently going through or what like old traumas were, like you said, like certain abuses and stuff or divorces or something like that. So I think pain is very symbolic and disease is very, very symbolic. I don't talk about that a lot, but I think it's important to bring up. And I love that you as a doctor are sitting here and you're telling us that emotions will manifest in disease and that that holds weight and power. And so I really appreciate you bringing that to the table. Yeah. And let me share that one of the things, so So I started meditating before medical school. So you can imagine eight months. My goal as a 21-year-old was to hack my issue with fainting when I I had to go in and get the required hepatitis B vaccine series. Mm -hmm. And so I had all these techniques. And that day when I went for my first vaccine and I was breaking out into a sweat, but then I started doing my breathing and didn't pass out, it was like, Amazing. amazing. You know, I've been preparing awesome. for that day for, uh-huh. for eight months. And it worked. But it was, it was, such, what's that? It worked, but it also taught me the power of the mind mm. and also the power that we have within ourselves to actually gain control over things in our body that we think are not in our control. Totally. And, and also to rewire our brain. And I can't say that my brain rewired in just eight months. Uh, it was that type A, very um, high-paced um, thinking brain, worrying brain that I had. It took all of my 20s mm-hmm. 
to rewire, but I did rewire it. Yeah. So I can sit here now in my mid forties and tell you that I'm calm, not just on the outside. I feel the same on the inside as I look on the outside. That's fantastic. That's awesome. All right. So everyone out there listening to this, I, I am sure that you are hearing a lot of familiar stories in this. And I know this isn't even necessarily the topic, but how many of you out there, even maybe going back to childhood, you went through some major illness, right? You experienced trauma and that trauma gave you two options. You could either let it define you and become the thing that held you back for the rest of your life, or you could let that be the springboard that you jump off of to really face what's going on in your life and to make a difference, not just for yourself, but everybody around you. I love this story so much just, because you just, you just think of this. I just think of this. If I had caved because of my fear of needles and run away from medical school, I would not be having the impact in the world that I am having today. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it is, it's, it's sometimes, and it, and it's something, something that we all need to learn is, is like, you know, leaning into our fear. Mm-hmm. And, and so by the time I got into medical school, I was meditating on a daily basis. Now this is 1995 when meditation was not, right. Right. It was not in, cool. <laughs> in vogue. So you can imagine as a tw- young 21 year old, mm-hmm. I didn't tell any of my classmates that I was meditating, mm-hmm. but they all knew me as the Zen guy. And anybody who was nervous be- the night before a test would come hang out with me. That's and great. because they felt like they got Zen vibe from me. And it's no one knew that I had a secret weapon, which was that I would go home and meditate after school every day. That was mm-hmm. the first thing I did That's fantastic. when I got home. Wow. I love that. And, and then I, I also did yoga. And back then my first yoga teacher was an Iyengar teacher and she was really big on hip opening, mm-hmm. uh, types of yoga poses. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to mention this because you mentioned about emotion and what's held in the body. Yeah. I mean, we used to do some really intense work and I would go home after the yoga class and I would just start crying and I had no idea where it was coming from. But the yoga teacher would say, hey, if you cry after this, that's normal yeah. because the hips store a lot of emotion and mm. you're going to release stuff yes. that's been held there. Yes. Okay. Can I quickly share a story? When I was in massage therapy school and we started learning about the psoas, you could see people like, because there would be about 20 people on massage tables, all practicing, right? And you would see people just start bawling all over the room. What's the psoas? Oh, the psoas is a really deep hip flexor muscle that attaches from your lumbar spine onto like your upper thigh. So it gets really tight. It gets super tight and it's a very emotion. Tons of emotion. And so you would see people- I mean, it's, it, it's basically the psoas muscle is, is what, uh, becomes the filet mignon in uh, the cow. Uh, <laughs> but the, psoas, the psoas is, is this long tube like muscle that then sends out almost like fingers that attach to all of the lower lumbar, mm-hmm. uh, spine. Yeah. So if the psoas gets tight, it pulls on the spine and it can cause pretty severe back pain. Yeah. And so, and a lot of time back pain is lower back pain is also related to now we're getting into like the symbolism of pain, but, um, insecurities like financial insecurities or family insecurities and stuff. And so that can also be traced back to the psoas, but anyways, we're getting off topic. And, and you know, you know, what's great though, cause I'm going to bring this back to the gut. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I've had patients, and this is where, you know, you always have to kind of really listen to the patient. I think that's what a lot of people have trouble when they go to the doctor is that, um, you know, like they say, if you go to a neurologist, he's going to diagnose you with a neurological thing. If you go to a gastroenterologist, he'll diagnose you with a, right. you know, so it's totally. it, to be a really good doctor, you have to be a blank slate that really listens mm-hmm. and it can be tough. But one thing that I've found is sometimes I've had patients coming in with abdominal pain, afraid that they might have appendicitis or that they have something going on in their gut. Mm-hmm. And when I palpate them, what I find is they actually have the psoas muscle and spasm. Yeah. And I refer them to, you know, myofascial release specialists to release it and the abdominal pain goes away. That's amazing. Because the psoas can refer forward into the abdomen, either the left or the right lower side. Mm-hmm. That's really cool that you were intuitive enough to find that and not just prescribe something or do a surgery. Um, I want to, yeah, or, or say, Hey, you have to go get a colonoscopy or an endoscopy and right. it's, wait a second. Yeah. Like, did you put your hands on the patient and mm-hmm. see what was really going on with them? Like let their body speak to you yep. and tell you what is happening. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Like, I don't think, I don't think doctors do that much. A lot of like hands-on palpating. Yeah, mm-hmm. that probably depends on the doctor. True, right? true. Yeah. I mean, w- most of our it medical experience was in and It, it yeah. depends on the, the background of the doctor, you true. know, and, uh, and how they were trained. That's true. Uh, I still put my hand, hand on people because there's still some things that you can't know from just speaking the history. I mean, I look at tongues all the time. I mean, oh. tongue for me is very important because the tongue is the window into the the gastrointestinal tract. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, it tells you a lot about what's going on in there. All right. Mm-hmm. So I've got to ask then, what are, what are some things that you can tell right off the bat just by looking at a tongue? Yeah. So you first look at, you, you look at the color of the tongue. Like, is it really pale pink or is it a dark pink? Um, if it's pale, then you might have someone who's iron deficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also look to see is, is the tongue wide does the tongue have markings on the side, almost like the insides of the teeth? And we call that scalloping, where the, the outside of the tongue is rippled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because the tongue is pressing up against the, the inside of the teeth. And we can see that in either hypothyroidism or in people who have food sensitivities. Mm. A lot of times we'll have that. Interesting. You can also see like a, like a, almost like a dulling of the tongue. Like it starts to look really smooth. Uh-huh. Like it loses some of its, its contour. And you can see that like an enlarged dull tongue in someone who has B12 deficiency. Interesting. What about and geographic then, tongue? Yeah. Geographic tongue, a lot of times, again, could be a sign of, it's again, an expression of what's going on in the gut. And sometimes depending on, I have a little bit of a Chinese medicine background. So depending on where it is on the tongue, it can represent the, the gut, the lungs, the large intestine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a crack in the middle of the tongue, a lot of people have chronic gut issues. will have a crack in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a fissure running down the middle. Yeah. And if you see a white coating, especially like around the base that mm-hmm. could signify either a dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of good and bad bugs in the gut. Right. And, but it can also mean yeast overgrowth when you see a white coating mm. uh, that appears uh, when you wake up in the morning. Okay. Uh, so there's a lot you can learn about 
the body just by looking at the tongue. Yeah. I, my son developed, uh, Atlas tongue right after I had my daughter. And I wondered if that was always from stress and it's always on the lower left side. And so, um, and it's always associated with when he increases his carb and dairy intake. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. You're, you're in just, yeah. Isn't that strange? So that's, that's why I selfishly ask. Cause I'm like, Hmm. And it's never bad. It's just these, it's about these three little spots. Anyways, I'm hugging the, the and entire the tongue, episode. The tongue will also the tongue will also change. Like if you're about to get a cold or if you are have an illness, it's going to get oh. coated. And in my sickest patient that I had, she had come back from China and had picked up a parasite mm-hmm. in China. Her tongue had a brown thick coat on it. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Wow. So, yeah. wow. In, in Chinese medicine, that would be a lot of like phlegm and internal stagnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it just, it turned out she had severe dysbiosis. She had chronic infections in the gut. She had a parasite. That's crazy. Like, so she was a, she was a big project. It took over a year to heal her gut. Wow. So, so let's start talking about biome and dysbiosis. And um, I would really like to pick your brain a little bit about uh, how we are, where we are. And then also later on, I'd like to talk about probiotics with you because that's, that's a very controversial yeah. issue, but um I know from what I've read that there's so much soil depletion. We live in a very sterile environment. Like you've been mentioning, there's tons of stress. Um, What else have you learned from your studies that every person should understand about what what entails a healthy gut biome and how we can really support that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you mentioned the soil. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm really big about our connection with nature. Um, mm-hmm. I saw a documentary earlier this year called The Need to Grow. Mm-hmm. And it basically is about how we're depleting our, our healthy microbiome rich soil. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to have soil in like 65 years, uh, you know, viable soil. And that's terrifying. Like that's so terrifying. It's really terrifying because um, I once had the pleasure to meet Maria Rodale, who's the the granddaughter of the Rodales who founded her grandfather basically is considered the father of the organic movement mm-hmm. in the United States. Cool. And she once told me that the soil are like the guts of the earth. Yes. And I like to make a lot of analogies to, to the earth because, um, if you think about our gut microbiome, it is this really complex. I mean, I think one of the most complex ecosystems on the planet, but I don't know if a lot of people know this, that 25% of the planet's biodiversity is found in our soil. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. No. That's a lot. I, yeah, that that's is, a lot. And it's that so, is pretty. It's super symbolic of the body too. Super symbolic. I mean, I use a lot of analogies between us and the soil and the plant world. I mean, if you think of the microbiome in the soil is really key and important Mm -hmm. in not only maintaining the health of plants, but if it, if the plants are growing on healthy soil, then guess what? Those plants are going to have more richer nutrients that are going to be better for us. Right. So it's this whole symbiotic whole but a lot of times I also like to talk about the root system of plants mm-hmm. as a comparison to, you know, our bodies. And I think of the gut as our root system. Yeah. If you have a, if you have a plant that 
the leaves are starting to look like they're not, they're losing luster and they're kind of dying. You know, the Western medicine approach is to take a pail of green paint and put it over the leaves and say, oh, now they look really good. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. We solved the problem. <laughs> yep. We did the problem. Yep. But the functional medicine approach is to say, no, let's look at the root system Let's see what's happening there. We yeah. heal the roots. We will heal the leaves. Yeah. And that is the analogy I use for the body because our digestive system, our gut is our is the roots of our body. And in order to heal the body, that's where you need to start. Right. I totally believe that. I know in the past we have tried to help people heal hormones first. There's a lot of debate on healing the gut first or hormones. And a lot of uh, doctors out there would, or functional doctors say hormones. In our experience, it's always been go to the gut first. Like go to the gut because that replenishes everything. The gut is an active endocrine organ. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need the gut microbiome to be involved in hormone production. I mean, the the 20% of of T3 that's made in the body is actually made by the gut microbiome Mm -hmm. by converting T4 that's treated into the gut, converted by the bacteria into T3, which is the active form of thyroid hormone, and then gets reabsorbed into the body to be used by the cells. Right. Like that's, yep, exactly. And also if you're not absorbing, like then you're not healing organs either, you know, like, so. And and you you need a certain number of nutrients as some really key and important nutrients to make hormones. For example, you need the trace mineral zinc. Mm -hmm. And if your gut is leaky and your gut barrier is inflamed, you may not be absorbing your trace minerals well enough. That makes so much sense. I've heard that one of the issues with the, the soil depletion that we're experiencing now is that it's specifically the minerals that are all being leached out of the soil. Is that yeah. right? That is a big part of the problem. I mean, if you look at the USDA and they've analyzed spinach, uh, the iron content of spinach, and everybody knows like spinach makes you strong, like Popeye, right, right. Uh, you know, from back in the 1940s, the, the amount of iron in spinach now is a fraction of what um, it was back in the 1940s. Oh, and so every sad. decade, they've been analyzing it, and it's been dropping and dropping. You know, so when you think you have a vegetarian patient who doesn't eat meat, and they're looking for ways to uh, you know, get iron from, from their food, it's getting tougher and tougher because the plants can only have what the soil provides. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is that if you have an organic live soil rich with earthworms and all types of bugs, well, guess what? That soil is going to be more mineral rich yep. than a soil that isn't that way. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, pesticides like glyphosate, which mm-hmm. is found in, in Roundup and is used on a lot of genetically modified crop, but also used to desiccate wheat and oat for harvest glyphosate is a is a chelating agent that binds minerals and steals them from the soil yeah well when you spray it you're not just spraying it on the plant you're actually you know you're leaching it into the soil and they've done soil microbiome analysis on soils that have been you know sprayed over and over with glyphosate Mm -hmm. and they find that there's a shift in the microbiome to some really harmful bacteria that shouldn't be living there. That is so sad. And in fact, when I, um, I was reading, uh, Maria Rodale's 
book, I think it was called Organic Manifesto. She talked about how farmers that um, grow GMO crop that is resistant to the pesticide glyphosate, that they will use six times the amount of pesticide they would have normally used because they know the crop can take it and it's not going to die. Oh, no. That's unbelievable. But also, but also the other problem is that the, the weed plants are becoming more resistant. Yep. Yeah. So they have to use more. And then we're eating that. That's on our food. And so we're absorbing that and it's chelating our own minerals, you know? So it's, it's this vicious. Well, it's causing a host of, this host of problems that also lead to leaky gut and, and other issues. And like but it's so important, you know, when we're talking about gut health to also talk about the outside world, mm-hmm. uh, because I really do feel that uh, part of what's been the uh, breaking down gut health over the last couple of decades is, you know, the move to cities, the less outdoorsy we become, the mm-hmm. more hygienic using antibacterial this and, mm-hmm. and um, anti, um, antimicrobial gels. And we've become so worried about getting exposed to bacteria that I think we've swung the pendulum too far. Right. Exactly. And interestingly, when I, I'm, I've been really fascinated with the Hadza people of Tanzania, mm. who are one of the last few hunter gatherers left on the planet. Mm-hmm. And there's about a thousand of them left and about 250 still live the traditional hunter-gatherer lifestyle and they eat basically five things. Mm-hmm. They eat root vegetables, they eat berries, they eat honey. Uh, but when I say honey, they eat the entire honeycomb. Oh, that's cool, yeah. Like with larva inside. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine all the nutrition there. Yeah. They they also eat the baobab fruit um, oh. and they eat everything of it. Like the very thick, uh, it's almost like a really hard shell. They'll they'll grind it down and they actually use it to wean kids off of breast milk. Oh, make a, cool. a really thick porridge out of it. Yeah. And then and then they hunt animals. So they eat small to medium-sized animals, sometimes bigger. But I think what what is really striking about the studies, they've they've done PCR analysis on their microbiome. Mm-hmm. And they have this huge diversity to their microbiome. And then you compare it to, in this in one study, they looked at it in comparison to an Italian group of control. People are eating pasta and tomatoes and, you know, like right, right. a typical diet you would think uh, eating in Italy, pizza. And the microbiome of the people in Italy was less diverse than the Hadza. Oh, wow. And I think, you know, it's, it's striking because the Hadza are eating a less varied diet, if you think about it. Yeah. But their diet is super high in fiber. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that they're out in nature. They're not washing their hands. Right. The hunters are hunting, getting blood on themselves, and they're coming back and touching things. Like they're they're not they're not living by the same hygiene that we do. And you don't see diabetes. Yeah. And you don't see cancer in them. That's amazing. And now we're living in this day and age where cancer is hitting one in two people, you know, and it's, it's what a contrast. It's really really scary. And, and we know that a a lot of cancers, probably the majority of cancers are, are related to environmental exposure. And if you think about it, um, cancer is basically a dysregulation of the immune system, not being able to recognize that a cell has converted 
and turned uh, precancerous and then cancerous. And it has to do, you know, like there's hormonal influences on cancer and women, estrogen and progesterone sensitive cancers and, mm -hmm. and stuff. But there's influences on that from being exposed to all sorts of toxins and what we call xenobiotics, mm -hmm. which are endocrine disrupting chemicals that look like estrogen to the body. So yep. we're living in a, an estrogen swamp with plastic and phthalates and, you know, so well, it we, really takes we were just a great reading, deal of consciousness. We were just reading yesterday about how yeah. they've recently done a study and found that the amount of BPA found in the average person is way, way higher than they had previously thought. Mm-hmm. And, and we also know that and, like, even receipts, those receipts are covered in BPA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always, you know, they ask me, do you want to receipt them? Like, no, thank you. Yeah, exactly. I do <laughs> too. I'm like, no, I, I always tell them like, throw my receipt away. I don't need it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't like to touch that thing. Yeah. Um, I try not to touch those uh, as, as much as I can. Well, BPA has been found to be um, associated with an increased risk for autoimmune disease mm -hmm. as well. Yep. I believe that. Uh, and just think about, the, you know, there's also the connection between the gut and autoimmune disease and, and wheat and celiac disease and thyroid, autoimmune thyroid. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of things to think about, mm -hmm. uh, which, which is the way, you know, when I, when I preach and talk about how to have a healthy gut, um, and what I wrote about in my book, Happy Gut, is really a whole mind-body system. Like, it's not just a diet. It's about being aware of your environmental exposures. Yeah. It's being aware of the toxicity that we can hold inside of ourselves by thinking negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for me, achieving health is a, is a multidimensional endeavor. Yeah. You have to work on your mind as well as your body. And, and if you're spiritual, I would say even your spirit as well. I totally and believe your that. connection to something, something greater than yourself. So here's a question for you, because we have a lot of people who have had cancer or currently have cancer that follow along with us just because of Tristan's history. Um, you mentioned that cancer is an autoimmune uh, dysregulation issue. Do you believe in, or have you seen in your practice with your patients, have you been able to help people, and we can't say cure, but have you been able to help cancer patients have you been able to help them beat their cancers through supporting their stress and their gut biome and their nutrition and their entire environment? What has been your experience in this uh, arena? I don't really see cancer patients. Mm -hmm. So that's never been, that's never been my, my avenue. So my avenue has okay. always been on the side of uh, prevention, even though some of my patients have gone through, uh, Chemo. cancer treatment mm -hmm. and they have to yeah. restore their gut yeah. biome. And, mm -hmm. and, and really what I've seen is um, I have a dear friend who just went through this and he had to go through chemotherapy and radiation. Um, but he went through it with a lot of consciousness and um, was doing intermittent fasting mm -hmm. and Love a it. keto style diet, Fantastic. Uh, drinking, green juices. And he, you know, had some bad days, but he really wasn't having, you know, the, the uh, doctors were constantly surprised yeah. that he was not having all the side effects of the chemotherapy. Wow. And it's because 
he, you know, spoke with some of the top people all over the country and figuring out, you know, how do I go through this? I love that. The best way. And he was on a, he was intermittent fasting, you know, skipping uh, meals. And we know that even that uh, doing something like fast mimicking diet mm-hmm. uh, proves a person's uh, results with um, chemotherapy. Can, yep, absolutely. Responsiveness to that. And then interestingly, and I know this this probably not for someone who's going through chemo, uh, but maybe afterwards when they're rebuilding their immune system, this is really fascinating stuff. I don't I don't know if you've heard of Winhoff and his uh, breathing mm-hmm. technique. Totally, absolutely. totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's proven that that breathing technique and cold exposure, just like hormesis, like putting the body through a stressor mm-hmm. that it's not used to, yeah, increases the um, white blood cell count and also increases natural killer cells. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's the same the with sauna there. as well or just with Wim Hof and cold therapy? Not, not the same. No, no, not the same. Okay. Cause you have to put the body through kind of like an extreme stressor uh, exposure. And yeah, it's almost like putting the body through a stressor. I did a workshop on that earlier this year and got into an ice bucket. That's cool. That's <laughs> that really cool. Was, <laughs> that was quite a thing. But let me tell you, there is a moment there, you know, because you do the special breathing before to prepare. Mm. And then you get in and you have to do the opposite of what you want to do, which is mm-hmm. hyperventilate. Right. Yep. But instead, you have to breathe deep and breathe out really slow. And there is a moment there where you get into a place of such zen because it's almost like your your mind has to go beyond what your body is experiencing and just be present yeah. and observe. Yeah. You know, not be in it, but be looking at it. Yeah. Uh, which I think is such a, a really important thing to learn, but you know, that extreme, I haven't done it since then. I want to do it again. Uh, but well, <laughs> I'm, you make I do it sound actually really appealing. <laughs> it, it sounds uh, I nice. I almost made it to, I almost made it to two minutes wow. uh, and amazing. it was my first time. Oh my gosh. Which wow. is quite, that's quite long for your first time doing it. Yeah. That's really cool. And then your body is like, you are so exhilarated afterwards. So, so, little bit of what I do as my, my own hormesis here in New York is when I take a shower at the very end, I will turn the water cold. And depending on how brave I'm feeling, it will be colder. <laughs> yeah. Not as cold. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's good to put the body through those things. You know, I think we forget about that. You know, I think um, we're seeing a lot of people in our modern society lose resilience. Yeah. Like, and I think... For sure. uh, through the 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 comforts of daily living, uh, and even just resilience in in the face of like you know whatever it may be like a a virus, mm-hmm. a cold, you know everybody freaks out. And right. if you just stay calm, you know, because for the most part, the body only heals in the parasympathetic state. Yeah, mm. you know. So well, we've we've I'm stopped convinced. trusting our bodies. That's the problem. Is we we don't believe our bodies are capable of fighting off diseases anymore, and so and and to a degree, that's almost true now because when we don't allow our bodies to get sick, we don't practice 
sickness. And uh, we, like you said, we take antibiotics or we take drugs to mask the, um, the side effects of it, you know? So um, I, there, I, and there are many, there, there are many, many, um, there are many ways that sickness can express itself mm-hmm. or that it could be an expression thereof, you know? So uh, I'm a big believer in looking at all positive, all possible causes. And mm-hmm. I've seen patterns over the years. Yeah. Uh, people coming in with pain in their stomach region. Yeah. Mm. Epigastric pain, uh, reflux, usually associated with stress. Yeah. Uh, but if it's centralized right underneath the middle of the, the sternum and that soft part in the upper part of the abdomen, um, and this is my yoga background because I, I trained as a yoga teacher at oh, one cool. point, almost um, back in 2003. Cool. Uh, that's the third chakra, which is also the the seat of our will and our mm-hmm. power. Cool. If you think about it, that's where the diaphragm is. That's that's the point that if somebody punches you, they'll punch the wind out of you because mm-hmm. they're oh. they're stunning your diaphragm. But that's also the 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 will power center, which can be affected if there's a power struggle. And I've seen that where people are in a power struggle in a relationship with a boss Mm. and they get very sick to their stomach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I, that's really interesting, actually. Um, I would like to talk a little bit more about if, if we can one, I first want to make a comment back to gut biome and the soil, uh, you mentioned spinach and I wanted to, there's probably a lot of listeners that don't know this, but we had a client who was, her husband is an engineer and she was able to test certain foods with this heavy metal uh, monitor. And she found that all of the organic spinach was through the roof with heavy metals. And, um, and it kind of went back to this, these farming practices, even with these, our organic crops, you know, glyphosate, which is water soluble is going into our soil. Um, our soils are getting depleted. There's probably a lot of people that are listening and thinking, well, what, what can I do about this? And I love Mm -hmm. that you brought up, okay, well, organic, um, organic uh, gardens and stuff. If, if you can just grow mint, you guys like grow mint, get organic soil, like start composting. I think composting, wouldn't you say, is just a phenomenal tool to utilize so that you can get a really rich biome in your soil when you're planting and growing food? Um, you know, I think I think what what we could think as humans is like, well, we've caused too much damage to recover from, mm. and you know, just throw our arms up right. in the air and just say, you know, this is just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll give you another documentary that I saw that was really fascinating, kind of ties in with the the need to grow. The other one is The Biggest Little Farm. Mm, okay. Cute. And did you guys see that? No, no but it sounds so cute though. Like that sounds awesome. It's uh, called The Biggest Little Farm. Really amazing. What's really amazing about it is that it was this farm bought by some Hollywood guys, obviously he was involved. The cinematography in this movie is beautiful, Mm -hmm. but they bought this farm and land where the soil was not viable Mm -hmm. and they brought the soil back to life. That's incredible. That's amazing. Um, And it can, it can be done. You know what I mean? With such simple things like, like, uh, like I said, composting, getting organic soil, you know, like it really can be done. 
Um, look, can we? It's, a, go it's ahead. almost the same example, you know, because a, a farm or a garden. Uh, a lot of times, I talk about our gut as our internal garden. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter. I mean, you may never be able to recover fully. And what Mm -hmm. they found is, you know, the more antibiotic rounds you've had, the harder it is to recover that original microbiome. Yeah. But what's also really fascinating is that um, I was listening to uh, someone talk about the Hadza. And if they have a shift in their microbiome, uh, for whatever reason, um, it recovers super fast. Mm-hmm. And you got to think that it has to do with being exposed to nature and the soil and totally. being outdoors that has an effect on the microbiome. And then there's a the shared microbiome. Now, this is really fascinating uh, research being done on the aging microbiome. Mm-hmm. And because the microbiome of someone who's 80 years old is not the same as the microbiome of a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Right. But you wonder, you know, in the blue zones, there's a lot of factors, but I don't think anyone's completely looked at the fact that when you live in a multi-generational household, Mm -hmm. the older person is sharing some of the microbiome of the younger person, perhaps that's also helping keep them younger. Interesting. So there's a community aspect that goes with this as well. Social shared. There's a a community aspect and there's also some scary things that I've learned that I don't, I don't know if I want to share. Like um, I heard a researcher present a study where they looked at a household, say husband and wife, and one was put on an antibiotic. The other one wasn't. And they were testing their microbiome the person who wasn't on the antibiotic had a shift and loss of diversity in their microbiome. Wow. Wow. That's unbelievable. That's crazy. Well, they're, they're they're married or whatever. So maybe they're kissing and sharing microbiome. So they decided, well, let's do people who are just roommates. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened. That's insane. That's, that's insane. That's so cool. Like it's really cool to think about. You know, there was no explanation yet as to the mechanism. I mean, who knows uh, what was was going on there. Uh, But it's kind of an interesting thing to think about how we're sharing things in community. And the microbiome is really really, um, represents community within ourselves, you know, and our connection, our connection to each other and our connection to the earth. Yes. You know, it's kind of a really... So, beautiful thing. So pick your community carefully right? because exactly. you're going to be sharing germs with them. Yeah. I mean, or I tell people, if you, if you think of the fact that you have the most complex ecosystem on the planet inside your gut, yeah. how would you treat your body right. knowing that you're carrying that treasure inside? Right. I love right. the way you put that. And on that note, so what, what are the things that you specifically recommend to people you work with to help their diversity? Is it as simple as just take a probiotic? Um, I use a lot of probiotics, but because I'm helping people recover from, you know, some pretty severe gut challenges, mm-hmm. um, you have to think of probiotics as transient residents of the gastrointestinal tract. Yeah. So if you take a probiotic, maybe the probiotic bacteria will stay in the gut after you stop it for about a month. Okay. And then you kind of lose them. But what we understand about probiotic is that they also influence the activity and the quantity of other favorable bacteria in the gut that might not be in the probiotic pill itself. Mm. 
So, and that's really fascinating. So there's this almost like interbacterial communication that's happening inside our gut. And it could be also that one bacteria is producing a byproduct that the other one uses to feed off of. And that helps promote the growth of one um, of a second lineage from the first one that's in the probiotic. And we've seen that with different probiotics, whether they're soil-based mm-hmm. or not soil-based. But I find that a lot of times probiotics are really key and important in resetting the system while you're working on all the other aspects that are Mm -hmm. important for maintaining a good gut health and flora, which include eating a varied diet that's rich in plant fibers uh, from greens to maybe oats, oatmeal and ground flax, chia. I mean, we're only eating in the West. Uh, on average, about 10 to 15 grams, maybe max 15 grams of fiber a day. But we should be getting probably double that, if not triple that. I I totally believe that. So what are some of your favorite probiotic companies or what is it? How do you how do you look for good probiotic sources so that other people can do that, too? Oh, God, that's uh, that's a tough answer Um, because it depends on. It depends on a number of things. So when we're looking at probiotics, you want to consider, does it need to be refrigerated or does it not need to be refrigerated? And Mm. that partly goes into what's your lifestyle? Do you travel a lot and Mm. you want to bring a probiotic with you? It's going to be more viable if it's a non-refrigerated type. Mm -hmm. Then you want to look at the strength of the probiotic and that's expressed as colony forming units or CFUs. Mm -hmm. And that can range anywhere from 2 billion all the way to 400 and some billion, depending on the probiotic. A lot of times I will use a higher, uh, higher, um, potency probiotic, like 450 billion units or up to 900 billion for a patient with ulcerative colitis in a flare. Um, And depending on, you know, and that's a pretty severe inflammatory bowel disease. And for people who are not as sick, probiotics in a much uh, lower strength category. And then you want to look at the quality, you know, there's different quality measures, like is the company following uh, CGMP, which is uh, good manufacturing practices. Right. And, and is the capsule that they're using, is it an acid stable capsule so mm, that it's right. not going to broken down in your stomach? Mm-hmm. Will, so those, probiotic- will those companies say that they are acid stable probiotics or is that something? Sometimes that- you got to do, sometimes you have to do some research mm-hmm. and find them. You know, I work yes. with different companies out there like designs for health, uh, mm-hmm. pure encapsulations, orthomolecular. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm involved with another company called United Naturals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also have my own happy gut line, uh, probiotic. Uh, and a lot of these companies, they do, you know, they take it really seriously and they produce, the, you know, vegetarian capsules that are acid stable. So they're not going to break down in your stomach and they can deliver the probiotic into the the small intestine and thereafter okay. now if it's a spore-based probiotic and there's some companies that just make spore-based probiotics which are soil-based yeah these you don't have to worry about stomach acid i mean spores can survive anything cool i mean they found they've they have found spores in old human fossils and have re-germinated them brought them back to life wow. like wow. these things are these things Hefty. can survive 
centuries. That's you know, amazing. the spore form is kind of like their protected form. Mm-hmm. You don't hear a lot about them. That's really cool. Yeah, there's soil. You hear about soil based probiotics, and a lot of those are actually spore based ones. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. Sometimes, depending on the condition, I've, I've found that for people with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, mm-hmm. And even for people who have uh, yeast overgrowth issues, that uh, a lot of times the spore-based probiotics can be really helpful. Right. Uh, for example, like Bacillus coagulans, which is one of the bacteria that's the genus in the species. Mm-hmm. That one produces antimicrobial peptides that wipe out bad bugs in the gut. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool because then you're not using an antibiotic; you're just using one probiotic to go in and clear the field and allow for good guys to populate your gut. That's really cool. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah. And I think that might be some of the ways that we go. I mean, I, I, I know I talk about how bad antibiotics are and how we shouldn't be over prescribing them and Mm -hmm. avoiding them, but, but let's be honest, sometimes an antibiotic will save a life. Totally. Absolutely. Sometimes there's no way of getting around an antibiotic and what I do with my patients is more what I would call conscious antibiotic uh, prescribing or antibiotic use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put them on protective probiotic like uh, Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a protective yeast mm-hmm. uh, that, that when you take it, it actually helps protect the gut from be- um, becoming leaky. Yeah. And you can take it with an antibiotic because it's a yeast, so it's not going to be killed by the antibiotics. That's not a problem. And then you have to worry about the effect that antibiotics have on the mitochondria in our cells. That's why antibiotics like Cipro or any fluoroquinolone, when you, anyone, I don't know if you've ever known someone to, that had to take Cipro for like a urinary infection or, I mean, I'm sure you've probably encountered it. Yeah. Uh, they feel wiped out. Yep. It just like they have out. no energy. Well, well guess what? Our mitochondria, probably historically and over the eons, were actually bacteria that were then were taken in by the cell and, and developed this symbiotic relationship where the mitochondria are like, okay, we'll be the energy workhouses for you. We're going to produce mm. all this ATP that you can use for energy, but in exchange, we need you to provide the nutrients for us. Yeah. Cool. And they are sensitive to antibiotics. Oh, my god. That's gosh. why that when people take antibiotics... You might feel wiped out because of that. You might feel wiped out from the the cytokines that are being secreted uh, because of the infection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I I'm a big believer in in being really conscious about antibiotic use and helping the gut recover after being on antibiotics mm-hmm. you know, through through diet and through using probiotics and prebiotic nutrients. I love that. Very cool. Yep. We work with a lot of uh, Lyme disease patients, and what we find is that what you do right after that antibiotic is so important to how well the whole process works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and even during the antibiotics, uh, giving them Saccharomyces, uh, giving them N-acetylcysteine to help protect Mm. the mitochondria. They found that NAC is actually mitochondrial protective. Oh, right on. And it increases intracellular glutathione, and it also helps protect the gut from becoming too leaky. And then of course, uh, using, I even sometimes will dose a probiotic 
while on antibiotics, I just dose it at a different time. So it's if it's like a twice a day antibiotic, like breakfast and dinner, mm-hmm. then I might have them take a probiotic before lunch. Mm. Gotcha. And just kind of working around, just trying to keep. And when I've had patients who really follow this protocol, they do so much better That's awesome. on an antibiotic regimen. I hope listeners yeah, are taking my, notes right now because right. <laughs> this is this I is golden my, info. Eventually, I want to come out with um, this will be a happy gut product, which will be um, an antibiotic recovery kit because I feel like so many people need that. I mean, especially women who suffer from yeast infections. I mean, I'm sure you you have encountered mm-hmm. people who have one round of antibiotics and they get a yeast infection. Well, it's not just about the vaginal yeast. The fact that you're getting yeast infections means you have a reservoir of yeast in your gut. Mm-hmm. So you have an imbalance. Yes. I don't even need to do diagnostic testing. I already know you have an imbalance in your gut and we need to work on diet, mm-hmm. maybe eating too much sugar, cut out the sugar, mm-hmm. cut out the refined carbs and really change that. And even, uh, I know I'm going all over the place. I got so much information. No, this is great. <laughs> like love I love, like there's probably so many people that are going to be taking notes right now. Mm-hmm. So this, keep going. Even, even for Lyme disease, uh, you know, you have to be really careful about taking in sugar. Yes. You know, the best diet for Lyme is, is close to a keto diet, mm-hmm. like really sugar limited. Yeah. And that puts, body into the, you know, kind of, cause sugar stuns the red, white blood cells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like an immunosuppressant. Uh, a lot of our Lyme patients Maybe. will, will make sure that they have the nutrition down first before they embark on any kind of treatment because it's, it's pointless, right? Like if we're just feeding sugar that makes everything worse and they're not healing that. So I totally agree with that. That's awesome. And that's, that's such an important thing for people to realize is again, you know, just going back to the gut is the root system of the body, mm-hmm. you know, in the, the microbiome is like our soil. So mm-hmm. you have to start there. You want to nourish the body. You want to heal the gut lining so the body can be in the best state possible in order to heal itself. Because the body, when given the opportunity, can heal itself. Exactly. I love that. Um, where can people find you, Doc? Like, where are your products? What's your website? Um, for listeners that might have missed it, what's the name of your book? Like, clue us in on everything you've got out there so that they can all hunt you down. Yeah. Um, my website is happygutlife.com. Uh, they can learn a lot about my products there. I'm going through a, we're, we're about to reformulate. So we're going to have a new launch in uh, t- the, January of 2020. Cool. Um, and they can also discover my book, Happy Gut. But honestly, they can also find me active online, uh, on Instagram, on Facebook. Just look for Dr. Pedre and you'll find me there. And I try to put out educational content and things that inspire and and help people learn more about gut health and about GMOs and all sorts of gut-related topics. Very cool. Do you counsel with people um, only in your area or can you counsel with them over the phone? <laughs> That's a good question. I get, I get asked that. I, because I'm in New York State, and New York State, you know, as a doctor, we're so much more regulated than um, other health practitioners. Mm-hmm. I have to meet 
the person, the patient in person, at least for that first meeting gotcha. to establish that doctor patient relationship. And I think that's really important to sit down and mm-hmm. put my hands on them and, and really, you know, cause I, I, I was telling a patient the other day that I, I sometimes do phone appointments, not video, not always convenient to do video. Mm-hmm. And you have to really pay attention to the inflections in the voice uh, because I think it's like 80% of human communication is actually visual. Yeah, I believe that. I totally believe that. Yeah. So Dr. Pedre on Instagram, there's no, it's just Dr. Pedre, P-E-D-R-E. It's D, yeah, like Dr. Pedre on mm-hmm. Instagram. Perfect. And then and happygutlife.com. Happygutlife.com. And definitely check out his book. If you've been like me and you're taking notes through this whole thing, seriously, you are going to want to check out the book and get even more information. Seriously. And like, oh my gosh. I could go on and on, guys. Like we could do this for a really long time. We should do a follow up <laughs> yes, uh, episode. Definitely. Like we we'll really should. Again. Like we should have people. Like I would, I would love to be back and talk more about probiotics and and you know talk about different gut conditions and totally. how you treat them because I know. I know that people are challenged with that because I see them every day in my practice. Well, we should, we'll have listeners, if you're listening and you want more from Dr. Uh, Pedre, please send us your questions. We're going to submit them to him and we will have him back on because I think there's just so much we can talk about. I feel like this hour just went by in 20 minutes because again, like this is such an important topic and it can go so many ways and we just barely brushed the surface. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, is there any, is there anything you want to leave listeners with, um, as we're wrapping this up, uh, any last words of, uh, golden nuggets and advice? Yeah. Um, I think one of the most important things for healing the gut is to, cultivate calm within the system. Mm. And I think that's the missing link for a lot of people. It's, it's, and I was talking about that, but not, not just diet and, and supplements. And you can get very type A about that Mm -hmm. and lose the bigger picture that is like the setting, the, 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 the internal milieu has to change. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to lower that constant fight or flight. So I encourage people to meditate, to do breathing exercises, mm-hmm. uh, to get out in nature. Like by, for me, uh, I have two places that I love and they're kind of extremes. It's either the seashore mm-hmm. or out in the mountains. I love it. And Man. if I can get seashore and mountains together, I am in heaven. Right. That is <laughs> Hawaii it is then. Uh-huh. Or Costa Rica, <laughs> something uh, like that. Right. <laughs> But honestly, I'm not, I try not to be dogmatic with people like, oh, you have to meditate, even though there's so much research showing the incredible benefits of meditation and in changing the, even just the way the blood is circulating in the brain. Uh, But anything that can be meditative, like if you play the guitar and you love that and you can get lost in, Mm -hmm. in creating songs, that's meditation. And I say that as a, as a former musician who used to play the piano And, but if painting is your thing or getting out in nature, it's about finding what is that thing and creating more of that in your life. And that I say for anybody who has a chronic illness, because at some point you have to realize that you are not your illness. You, you in your essence 
is something that is pure that cannot be touched by the illness. And it's so important uh, for people with gut health or any chronic health. I mean, I see a lot of people with chronic health issues. Yeah. And sometimes along the their path, I have to kind of take them and almost shake them in the shoulders and, yeah. and say, like, you are not your illness. Yes. You have to stop identifying as the illness is your persona. That is not who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that is music to my ears coming from a doctor uh, because like the language that you speak in this space, it, it sh- should be shouted from the rooftops and isn't. And it's such a breath of fresh air to, to hear you say that doc. So um, thank you. Ser- seriously, from a person who is constantly in fight or flight mode, just listening to you speak and like, and you can tell you're just so calm and, and I totally get it. You're probably the Zen doctor and I can see why all your med um, cohorts were, members were all just saying that about you because uh, you can sense it through this mm-hmm. podcast. And so I even feel more relaxed just talking to you. And it makes me realize how I need to also prioritize my health through my mental health and not just my nutrition and not just the things that I'm, I'm eating, but by what I'm doing and my psyche. And so you just really like nailed that message. And I want to thank you so much for it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there are a lot of people listening to this right now who can relate to that and, mm-hmm. and who hopefully are really taking it seriously and deciding, okay, now is time for me to start focusing on that internal piece, not just the mm-hmm. nutritional medical side of things. Yep. So thank you so much, Dr. Pedre. This has been fantastic. And you heard it from him. Listen, guys, it's been great. And I really appreciate you having me on. And it's been uh, wonderful sharing this information with your audience. And uh, if you would have me back, I'd love to come back and, and answer some of the questions that this podcast generates and maybe even uh, dive into some more gut topics. I think that would be fantastic. That'd Thank be you nice. so much for all your wisdom. And um, and honestly, I, this did not go where I thought it was. We spoke a lot about stress. And that was I, awesome. That was awesome. I mean, my husband's the ex-psychologist, so that was like right up his alley. So thank you again. All right. Talk to everybody later. See you next time. <laughs>